0: Hey, this is Tina again with Good Nurse Bad Nurse, and I have Q back for another episode. It's been a while. Hey, Q.
1: Hello, hello, friends. I missed. I, I miss being on the show. Um, I'm happy to be back. You know, goodness, we've got stories today. <laughs> I know
0: it's been it's been a while. I can't even believe how long it's been. But excuse me, it's good to have you back. Thank you. We we have a couple of really interesting stories. One of which I just want to say up front that this is a sexual assault case. Uh, from It is a, a bad nurse, and it's a sexual assault case. So, again, you know, like I always try to say, trigger warning. If you don't want to hear details, I'm, I'm not going to go into specific details, but still, it's, it's difficult to listen to. But at the same time, we're going to really get into some discussion, well, just about patient dignity and about what's appropriate and that sort of thing. So I think it's going to be a really good conversation It's it's definitely important to talk about. And then to close out the show, we're going to talk about Harriet Tubman. I'm so excited about this because she, a lot of people I don't think know that she was a nurse, but she was a nurse during the war and during the Civil War. And so that's kind of neat. I, I think this is a great opportunity to be able to talk about her and all the amazing things or some of the amazing, and I can't talk about all of them, but some of the amazing things that she did. So, and then afterwards, after this episode, Q and I are going to have a little conversation just about some current events that are going on, and we will put that on, probably put it on YouTube and on our website, and Q may even use it. We're video, we're using the video for this as well, so that'll be available also
1: when tina says that uh a couple of people didn't know she was a nurse she's talking about me okay so don't feel bad don't, don't feel bad if you didn't know because i didn't know i had no idea and if you're listening to this and not watching it know that my skin is as black as harriet Tubman's. <laughs> all right so if, if i didn't know don't feel bad that you didn't know i had no idea i said tina don't lie to me don't lie to me but it is it is good to know that she was one of us Age dubs! I'm telling you, I'm excited for this episode. Tina, thank you for having me back.
0: Yeah, it's good to have you. So, our bad nurse this week is Giovanni Heckavaria, And I'm just going to, that's, pronoun- that's my pronunciation, and I'm sticking to it. So, this nurse was a, apparently in July of 2016. It was working at a Cape Coral hospital in Florida. And he was accused by a patient of sexually assaulting her. And apparently that wasn't the first time that he had been accused of that because the first patient that reported it about a year earlier didn't actually, there was no investigation or at least the investigation didn't bring up enough evidence. So nothing was really done about it. So finally, after a patient came along, um, a victim came along that saved a towel that had evidence on it that he had, he had sexually assaulted. Uh, then they opened an investigation and he was fired. So in January, the case went to trial and three former patients shared their testimonies against him. And they are really gut-wrenching testimonies. It's really bad.
1: So, before you get into these actual testimonies, I liked it. So, like, I was, you know, it's been a little bit since I've been back. Um, and usually it, we do it the opposite way. Well, what I remember is doing it the opposite way where you, you know, it's up in the air. Maybe the husband did it. Maybe the nurse did it. Maybe she yeah. didn't do it. Who knows, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just right off the bat, you know, he's a bad human being. Like, you know, he did it, right? So, there's no guessing game here, right? Mm-hmm. And and the thing is, because it's so recent, you don't want to be playing that game. No. Um, the facts are out there; we know what happened, so let's tell it how it happened. So mm-hmm. I know they mentioned the trigger warning in in the beginning, but like, it's really f- messed up what what this former nurse did, and uh, it's kind of scary. And like, you forget. I don't, you just forget how much trust people have in nurses and healthcare providers, you know, sitting in the room getting naked in front of people. But like, it, it's a scary situation.
0: I think a lot of people, well, I'll just speak for myself that what the way I generally will kind of, I guess, make myself feel okay with it is I just think of this person as a professional. They've been trained to do this. They, they do this all the time this is not the same as just some random person, you know, um or someone who isn't medical. and so that's how I kind of make myself feel better if I'm put in a situation where you know, to get a an exam or something from it from a gyne- gynecologist who's a male the the thing is like these women, I'm sure we're we're going through that like if they were having to get a bath or say, maybe get cleaned up because I know one of these women had C. diff. And we know, I'm sure everyone listening, if you're a nurse, if you've been a nurse for any amount of time, you've probably had to clean people up who've had C. diff. It's very difficult to control. And usually the patients are really embarrassed. And so, you know, I'm sure that these women were, had kind of in their own minds found a way to, to feel okay with it and maybe to not, try to not feel as bad about it because that's what you have to do right you have to kind of that's what and, and usually as an as their nurse i'm trying to, to you know when they say things like oh my god it's just so embarrassing i'm i'm just like are you kidding me Don't, I, this is my job i it's fine you know and they'll apologize i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i'm like it's literally my job i signed up for this this is what i want to do it's not no one's making me do this I chose to do this. I went to school to do this. It's okay, you know? And so that's, that's what you should try to be doing for these people. But then
1: this happens and it's just... Like if you if you get violated like that at a hospital, you know, the only time I'd ever go to a doctor's office, if I had my best friend, my you know, my boo-boo right next to me and my shooter right behind me. Like you'd be scared of hospitals. You'd be scared to be mm-hmm. in a room with anyone you're so... Post to trust ever again, right.
0: yes. Well, the first woman told jurors during her testimony that Heckavaria was working as her nurse, it wasn't, he was uh, a night nurse, and that he sexually assaulted her twice in one night. She was there recovering from flu like symptoms, she was, she had severe flu like symptoms, and so. And I'm not. I'm not going to go into specific details. It's hard enough to just say, just in, to speak in generalities. But he did. He was touching her, feigning to check her vital signs, I guess. Then hours later, while she was asleep, he he was he penetrated her, and then he was also touching himself at the same time. And she woke up to this happening, and she asked him what he was doing. And he she told him to get out of the room. And she said that he looked at her and said, I'm sorry, no one will find out. No one will know. So she said she reported that incident to the police the day after she was discharged from the hospital. The police investigated the case, but then dismissed it because they said there, there was a lack of evidence. Once, you know, once the ac- other accusations started happening, they reopened that case.
1: Look. And all of these situations are really, really difficult, right? Because a lot of these situations, especially um, until we get to the the one scenario where there was actual physical evidence, when there's no physical evidence, it is he said versus she said, right? Um, And Tina and I are both nurses and we both work at, you know, nursing stations and, Like obviously, this patient is not confused or not with it or anything like that. But when a nurse comes to the nurses' station and you hear one of the patients screaming and cussing at the nurses, your first reaction as a fellow nurse is, "I'm going to be in the nurses' team, and we're going to go into this room and we're going to take care of this together." Right. So I don't. What I was looking for when when I got like you know when Tina sent me the notes to go over, I wanted to see like how his nursing co-workers reacted to these situations when, you know, they were made public or when, you know, they said that she said that she reported them to the cops the day after she was discharged. I would have loved to see what did their co-workers say about the situation? How did they feel about the situation? Um, But with all of that being said, all of that being said and I you just heard me say that as a nurse my first reaction is to you know protect other nurses next to me. This is not a thing you hear patients say. This is not this is this is not something you you regularly hear patients saying someone has sexually abused me. That's not a thing, right? When there's actually a police report put into place, I can't imagine. I can't imagine what kind of hospital facility situation protocol policy that they have that would allow management to keep that employee still employed at that facility. Forget about just being employed. I mean, that is something I think should be looked at thoroughly. I don't know what that investigation came to. But for the end of the story to be like, oh, there were no evidence and too bad is insane, is just insane.
0: Well, I agree. The thing is, it, it is very rare for a woman to falsely accuse something like this. And I think there are a lot of people who probably don't understand that, but it's, it's true. There, it's, it's extremely, extremely rare for a woman to, to say something like this because it's embarrassing. Most women are going to assume that no one's going to believe them, and they know there isn't any evidence and so it it really took a lot of courage for this woman to come forward and then you know the police were just like well there's no there's no evidence and then nothing was ever done so it's really unfortunate i think that this is the before we kind of get into the ne- uh, next couple of stories uh, that that happened just kind of when i read this and i've thought this before i honestly thought that doctors were were required to have, like a, a male doctor was required to have a female present if he is examining a female patient. And the reason I thought that is every time I've ever been examined by a male doctor, there's always been a female, they would literally always come back into the room with a nurse with a, or an assistant or something. And so I guess I always thought there was like a, a law or maybe just um, some sort of regulation from the medical board or something. And I, and looking it up before we started this, apparently that's not true. It's just sort of like a good idea, and so I guess a lot of doctors do that. But but I was when I read this, I was wondering, you know, why nurses aren't required to have a second person present if they're going to be having to do something with the with the the patient, like give them a bath, or you know, something that would require them t- to not have clothes on. But apparently, uh, I guess it's not even required of doctors. So I don't know. What do you think, Q? I, f- I feel like this should be at least a, 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 something that sh- should be suggested.
1: Yeah. So so my opinion originally, so we, we had a little bit of a chat prior to starting to record this. So I mean I just wanna be honest with everyone. I was I was laughing Tina out the door. I was like, um what I think I think should be an absolute standard if it's not totally reco- – if, if we can't say if, – if this is an absurd request and we can't afford to have just a, a doctor go grab a thing or a male nurse go grab a female, um, if I always said that the, the necessity should always be that the patient should have the option or should be told at, like on admission when she gets in, whatever the situation is, if you ever feel uncomfortable. With a male provider, no matter what level of care they're giving you, and you want a female present, that is something you can ask for. I think that that should be the bare minimum at every healthcare facility, bar none, period, full stop. But then Tina did talk to me. I don't want to put words in her mouth, but she explained to me how quickly these situations happen and like how... Because as a nurse, you forget, you just you just forget, you forget that people are as as comfortable as you are when you're in the hospital. When I'm in the hospital, I feel super comfortable because I understand how things work and I understand how these like who people are, what they're supposed to be doing. So if you don't know and if you just get into the hospital and you're sick and it's the worst day of your life and a male nurse or a male doctor walks into your room, you don't have the wherewithal to be like, you know what, time out. I know that I'm bleeding out of my left leg and I feel like I'm vomiting, but I also don't want to deal with a male nurse or a male doctor. That's not going to be their priority. I do think it's a good idea. I don't know how you implement it, but it's definitely a good idea. And yeah, Tina, right again. You're right again.
0: Well, I don't know that it is possible to always guarantee that you're going to have, a, if a female will have a female nurse. And I, and I don't know that people even think about it. Uh, you know, like I don't think that that's something that a charge charge nurse would ever think when I'm making an assignment. Oh, let's be sure and put the female patients with it. No one's going to even think about that. It's just because we're all just taking care of patients. And so, unless the the patient said something specifically about it, I don't know that. And that, and really, the times when someone's actually said that over the five years that I've been a nurse has been I could probably count on one hand. Really. Most people don't say anything. And I wonder about that because I know a lot of women have got to be uncomfortable with having a male nurse. They have to be. I just know how women are. I know that one in four women have been sexually assaulted at some point in their life. And it's very, very unlikely that most women in the hospital, having a male nurse who's coming into the room, especially at night, and no one else is there, and they're laying in a bed with nothing but a gown, hospital gown on that just covers the front. And they're doing things, even just like giving, you know, pulling up your gown to give a heparin shot into your abdomen or whatever, that I promise you they're, that the majority of women are somewhat uncomfortable and maybe apprehensive about it. But yet in the five years that I've been a nurse, I literally could count on one hand how many women have actually said, I would prefer to have a female. Why? Because women are afraid to speak up. Women don't want to say anything. They don't speak up for themselves. They don't say what they're feeling. They don't say, I'm uncomfortable. That's just not what happens. And guess what? Predators know that. They know it. And this nurse knew that. He knew that he could or he, he thought he could get away with it and he did for a while. So the second testimony that was given at that at that trial, uh, she was thirty-seven. She said that he violently assaulted her. So, and, and I'm not going to go into detail again, just rest assured it was violent. He was verbally abusive to her and she was there because she was having a cholecystectomy. She had C. diff and he was just, he raped her and it was terrible. She was the one that had the wherewithal to to keep the towel. She must've, witnessed him using the towel to clean up and so she saved it and when she reported it she was able to give actual evidence otherwise he would have gotten away with it again because yeah if she had come forward here's the thing if she had had the courage the first woman did say i'm going to go ahead and come forward even without evidence does she know that he was accused of that before does anybody know it? Does anybody at the hospital know it? Maybe a few people, but I, I don't. I doubt that that's something that's being announced. No one knows this, and so unless this she comes forward and says something, and then you can see a pattern, that's going to be the only indication that it could be that their uh, accusations could be true. Does that make sense? It's like no,
1: it makes sense because outside of the outside of an actual pattern, it ends mm-hmm. up just being she says i did it i say i didn't
0: mm-hmm. and
1: that ends up being who do you believe in the situation right um, but with a pattern then it's like yeah see homeboys done this before
0: yeah and so what when when you couple that with the fact that women are very likely to not report something like this they're a lot of times they won't even They're not going to even try to fight back because they're paralyzed by fear and shock and they don't know what the person might do if they were to fight back. They just don't know what to do. And so just out of pure fear and self-preservation, they don't say anything. And that happens a lot. And I think maybe, maybe a lot of people think that if you're being raped, you're going to fight and the person's going to have scratches on them and you're going to have bruises and that's not, that's not the way it happens a lot of times.
1: Uh, yeah, it's really scary to think about. I mean, it, it really is. And like, I have no way of trying to understand the situation. So when I use this example, please just, just try to hear me out, right? When we do, When you do those orientations... Uh, at a new hospital, and you have to go through the same training to do the Hoya lift or the bed turning machine or whatever the hell your facility has. And they ask for volunteers, right? And I always volunteer because, you know, I'm that kind of guy. I'm a good student. Thank you. But you learn very quickly that when someone touches you, like you want you need a hundred percent okay for a person to touch you before they touch you, and like I don't think as nurses as healthcare providers, we know how often we touch patients, but when i all every time I say I agree to being a volunteer to use the hoyer to use whatever machine they needed to just, you know uh, volunteer for. In my head, all I'm thinking about is stop touching me, stop touching me, stop touching me, right? Obviously, I know everything is coming and it's not done without my consent, obviously, but I can't imagine, I cannot imagine what that feels like being an actual patient, number one, and then compound that times a million, getting assaulted by a different person.
0: Yeah, I think that it's really impossible for someone to put themselves in someone else's experience, but just trying, even trying to remotely get close to what someone's thinking. I think that's really good what you said, this, that experience of lying down. We had someone volunteer one time to be put in restraints for like an entire meeting that we were in. So we put her in restraints, four point restraints, in a, in a bed, in a hospital bed. And they had put this hospital bed into this conference room and she was in those restraints throughout the whole meeting And by the end of the meeting, she was just, you know, supposed to say how she felt. And she was just like, it was, the way she described it was terrible. And I, it really kind of opened my eyes to, not that I wouldn't have thought about it before, but it just made me more aware of how vulnerable you feel. Imagine, you know, you're vulnerable enough just being in the the hospital, just being in, in a hospital bed. But then a lot of patients are having to be tied down because they're pulling at lines or they're confused or whatever. So one of these women said that he would, well, actually the third woman who testified against him said that this nurse would administer Dilaudid to her and that she said that it, it rendered her weak and made her feel glued to the bed and like she just couldn't move. Um, so he would choose to sexually assault her right after he gave her that medicine. And he may have thought that she would not be aware of what was going on or wouldn't remember it, but that was not true. Also, he told the second victim that no one would believe her. And she told him during her testimony, she said, the night you raped me, you said no one would believe me. You were wrong. And I'm just, I'm so glad that she got that uh, moment that she could have that sense of power, (laughs) At, during his trial, to be able to just, yeah, to say that.
1: First of all, this is just a nursing thing. If you're giving enough deluded, where someone is not able to, you know, maybe it's a little too much in the dilated, But what it, what it made me think right away was: so, what about all the other patients who did pass, like go to sleep right after they got their dilated? What about all the confused patients that he had? What about all the patients who had dementia? Knowing the extent of what, where he went with just these three patients. And in all three of these scenarios, they're like very common scenarios that us nurses take care of patients with on the daily. Forget about like once a week, twice a week on the daily. So honestly, they can be tens, tw- hundreds of other patients that he's, he's taken care of that he has violated and, and that's a scary thing. Now, every patient that has ever gone to Cold Coral or whatever that facility is, is going to second guess themselves and think, was I violated? This is mm-hmm. so much bigger. Yes, it is horrendous that it happened once to one person. But this is it could have happened to so many other people. And they had no idea. It's so it's so, so scary. And the thing that kills me. The thing that kills me. And yes, this is a very biased, very selfish thing. But it makes us male nurses look so bad. It's He is the worst. And you don't blame anyone for being afraid after hearing stories like this. Because you don't want this to happen to anybody. It's the worst. It's the worst thing.
0: Yeah, she said the one place where you're supposed to be safe is the place where this happened. Um, she said, I thought I was the only one. Then I found out there were others and it made me feel better that it wasn't my fault. And that absolutely killed me when I read that because I just thought, why do women do this? Why do we always think this is our fault? But that's, that's the, that is that's that is the our instinct for some reason to think that we somehow did something the way we were dressed, the, the way that we handled ourselves, something that we said, the fact that we didn't fight back, that we didn't yell for help. So we, we somehow make ourselves, it's just ridiculous. And I just, I hate it for this woman. Any sort of sexual assault can cause PTSD. It can cause um, self-esteem issues. It can cause thoughts of suicide. Just horrible, um, just has horrible, horrible implications for, for their future forever. Issues with sexual intimacy with partners in their future, or if they're, if they're married, you know, their husband or their you know their significant other. Just, you know, one of these women said that she didn't report the attack for two years because she didn't want, first of all, she just didn't want to think about it. She just wanted to pretend like it just didn't happen. But also, she didn't want her fiancé to know. She didn't want her dad to know because they would be devastated. So she was putting her her fiancé and her husband's needs before her own, of course, and just, just didn't want to, didn't want them to have that thought in their head. She didn't want her fiance to know that this happened. It's, it just kills me. I I, I hate these stories, and it, it would just be so much easier just to not do them. But I felt like this was a conversation that we needed to have.
1: I remember in the beginning when I was new at it, right? And like, yeah, it was weird. It was a little awkward. Yeah, it felt a little funky. But, but I feel like that's what every nurse feels like, you know, the first time you give a bed bath to anybody. Yes even, of course, of course, even in female patients, when the first time they give a bed bath to uh, a male patient, it's very weird. It's awkward. But then at some point, it it just becomes, okay, this is regular. And then at some point, it's like, it's more than regular. This is your day-to-day. So this is something you do on the day-to-day. And I think, yeah, you might get efficient and better. and You actually might be nicer and, you know, be a little less rough with the patient. But at the same time, you get so comfortable, you might, you start forgetting that the patient isn't comfortable with a stranger washing them down. And a patient mm-hmm. isn't comfortable with a stranger of an opposite sex washing them down, right? So, like, from a male nurse's perspective, right? When I go into work, I want to get my, you know, I want to, I want to be, I want to get what I need to get done, done. And I want to do it the most efficiently as efficiently as possible, right? If the hospital, the facility we work at does not have a f- protocol policy that asks for that, what do you suggest us male nurses do? H- how do you suggest we go about, you know, like just just being civil about this, being just like, just commonsensically good about these things? Because I definitely have just assumed since I've gotten comfortable with doing this stuff I've assumed that if a patient is uncomfortable they will say something and I will stop walk out get a female nurse aid someone else to come take care of it in a heartbeat right but that is my like my my thought process before this podcast was if a female was uncomfortable they would let me know but how do you suggest I work around it because You're probably right there. Probably a ton more people who are like, I'd rather not. I just don't say anything.
0: Yeah, that's, unfortunately, that's the way it is. My recommendation, I guess, just without knowing really what to say or what to, it's not like I'm an expert at this or anything, but uh, just kind of what I would think would be maybe reasonable would be if you are in a situation where you have to bathe a patient of of the, you know, you're a male nurse and you're bathing a female patient if at all possible. A lot of times we have to have someone else helping us with a bath anyway. Um, why not just say, why not just ask someone, hey, I'm I'm going to need to give my patient a bath at some point. I am really not comfortable doing that by myself. I don't want to make my patient uncomfortable. Is there any way you could just help me? I can help you do something. You know, what can I do for you? Uh, I can take off your plate and and kind of just trade like that you know, you're going to get probably done twice as fast. And that's going to, it's going to make the patient feel a lot better having a second person there. And it'll make you safer from if someone, even confused people sometimes will say things they don't even realize they're saying. So it's very possible for a confused person to mistake someone who's doing something very legitimate with the best intentions, just literally taking care of them, cleaning them up, and but they're confused and they don't understand what's going on. I don't think it would be at all unlikely that someone in that situation might say, might accuse someone of doing something that they didn't do. I think it's just safer to always get a second person. I mean, if if possible, but we all know staffing issues in the hospitals and how hard it is sometimes for us to just get our own patients taken care of, much less trying to help our neighbor with their patients. That's why I said, you know, maybe if you could trade trade some tasks off, if, if that's possible. But also, I would think maybe it's a good idea to go to your administrators and your hospital and see if you can't maybe get policies changed about this and talk about it. There probably need really needs to be classes and this there needs to be education to all nurses about this sort of thing. We need to be talking about this more. And I don't feel like we ever talk about it. I don't ever hear anyone talking about
1: this. Do you? No. And, and that's the thing, team That's... That's why my thought process was where my thought process was because, like you said, yes, you can count the amount of people who've asked for female caretakers on one hand, maybe both hands. Um, And ditto, same here with me. And every hospital, every facility, every place I've ever been to that has had a patient that has had that kind of request has been very good about following those kind of requests, right? So I think people are aware of it to that point.
0: Yeah. I I think there we definitely need, need to be having more conversations about this for sure and hopefully this will be kind of something maybe this will kind of people listening to this will it will kind of help them, you know, to be thinking about it. So this nurse was sentenced to 30 years in prison. He it says he'll be on the sexual offender a sexual offenders list, but what I don't understand is I feel like for what he did I don't feel like he should ever get out of prison. I don't even understand that, that there's a chance he's going to get out of prison or there he will likely get out of prison. He was found guilty, sexually assaulting a patient. He was accused of the others, but I don't, I, th- I think it was just, maybe just the one because they had the evidence and he faced up to 75 years in prison, but he actually got 30. So I don't know.
1: Yeah. The craziest thing is, it's like after the first accusation and like, the first job let him go he was still allowed to practice as a nurse i'm like what right yeah. like what is the florida board of nursing thinking does the uh, time fit the crime i am um, i'm i'm on your team just because it's three different people i mean i mean it's the, and those are the people like i said earlier that we know of right mm-hmm. and look i don't make the laws i don't time make the sentences but and this is, yeah.
0: Well, that's our bad nurse story. It was, really, ugh, it was really ugly this week, but I think it was necessary. I'm glad we had the conversation. And All if right, you guys have, if you have anything you'd like to add to that, just send us a message. I'd like to hear uh, your side of it. If you are a male nurse and listening to this and you have any thoughts about it, I'd love to hear your side of it. I always like to hear different opinions. I'm very... Passionate about this, as Q will tell you, because we—he uh, says we had a chat about it before. <laughs> we had an, a very heated argument. <laughs> Maybe not argument, but discussion, because I was not about—I was not about to let up on that one.
1: <laughs> Look, listen, listen, listen to all you male nurses out there. I understand something? Look, I, I just. Because, look, we all have good intentions. And this is not just the all-male nurses. This is us nurses. We get into the profession because you want to help people, right? So my understanding of any nurse period is you want to help people. So when we do these good nurse, bad nurse stories, right, and the bad nurse ends up being actually really bad, it is a shock to the system. I'm not talking about the bad nurses. I'm talking about the good nurses when I am talking about nurses. So that's why in the beginning, when I you know poo sh- poo Tina's idea, uh, got me in a little bit of trouble. But at least that's where I was coming from. That's where well, I was coming I from.
0: When you are a good person and you do have integrity and you're going to do the right thing every time and you're going to, you would never, it would never occur to you to do something horrible like this. I think that being female and not maybe not understanding how it feels to be vulnerable in a situation like that, that I can understand that kind of being the knee-jerk reaction. Like, what are you talking That's ridiculous. Because you, every time you go into a patient's room, you're just doing your job. You're getting your job done. I'm sure you do everything you can to make that person feel comfortable. And you're just doing what you need to do to take care of them. So for you, it would seem silly. But, you know, uh, unfortunately, there Are always you know those few people that come along and you find out wow not everybody is like that and because of those few people that aren't we have to take measures to to protect people from those um, predators. A hundred percent,
1: a hundred percent, a hundred percent.
0: You know, you have women in in hospitals all across this country who are vulnerable, and not just nurses, nurse techs. Um respiratory therapists doctors I've literally done a story similar to this about a doctor who who went into a patient's room and sexually assaulted her so anyway I just you know I could talk about this forever and I, I don't want I don't want to do that we'll we'll put it to we'll put it behind us for now and we'll move on but I'm we're, we're gonna continue to talk about this and hopefully we can get some good changes happening happening yeah so for our our good nurse story. We talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but Harriet Tubman was a nurse. And yes, so, cute. did you watch the movie, Harriet? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm messing with him because I asked him that before uh, we started the podcast because I just knew he was going to say, of course. <laughs> and he hadn't even heard of it, which is, I couldn't even believe that. I mean...
1: <sighs> Yeah, listen, some of us, you know, some of us yeah, not paying attention to what the young hip kids are doing these days. Right. No, I did not. I, did, I hadn't even known that the movie was a movie. I, it's, I, I had no idea. I know I have not seen the movie, but I do know my lady H. Tubbs. <laughs> She's a good lady. Yes, she is.
0: Yeah, she really is. Uh, Last year, whenever I... I love movies, so maybe that's the problem. I go to movies all the time, so I would would see this trailer. And I love trailers, too. I like movie trailers. Maybe if you don't watch the movie trailers, maybe you wouldn't have seen it, but I like to get to the movie early because I want to watch them. I feel like they're little mini movies, and I just... (laughs) I like to sit there and watch the trailers. So every time this one would come on, I would always think, oh, we can't wait for this to come out. I want to watch this. And... It's It's a really good movie. You guys should watch it if you haven't seen it. I did uh, do some research just to kind of see how accurate it is. And apparently it is very historically accurate for most of the details. There's a few characters that they made up to sort of enhance the story, I guess. But apparently they created those characters to just sort of illustrate things that really did happen during that time. So it's all relatively accurate. And, and the specific details about her... Uh, are mostly mostly accurate. But um, the research that I did as far as the story and, and kind of telling you guys about it, I I didn't take that from the movie. I went and, and actually researched on different websites that are
1: reputable and all that good reputable. stuff. Listen, listen, yeah. listen. First of all, um, if you guys haven't even seen the movie, good, just check out the trailer. It's going to make you want to see the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, like Harriet Tubman has always been like one of those superstar heroes to me, you know what? Because it's like something you can understand very quickly. Um, obviously, like, I don't know what slavery feels like. I don't understand. You can't understand these things, right? There's certain things you can't understand. But you know what you can't understand? Walking sucks. But no one likes to do these things. And every time, Every single time I'm on my feet, it's six hours into my shift. I say, Oh my goodness, my feet hurt. Or I'm like halfway through my run in the morning. I'm like, oh my goodness, my feet hurt. What about Harriet Tubman? Home goal was running up and down the country because she was saving other human beings' life. I mean, it, to. When the reason I was so ready to push back on the fact that when Tina told me that Harriet Tubman was a nurse is because that is such good news to me. I feel like I picked. It's just another reason that adds to, yeah, nursing might be the greatest profession in the history of the world because Harriet Tubman is a certified hero.
0: Mm -hmm. Over a 10 year span, she actually made 19 trips. Into the South and escorted over 300 slaves to freedom, which is really amazing. I've, I saw different accounts of that. So I just kind of picked the one in the number that was kind of in the middle, but I don't know that anyone knows. She may not even know how many. So she says, uh, she said in an interview that she had never lost a single passenger. So apparently she got everyone safely to wherever they were going. She was born a slave in Maryland, Dorchester County, around 1820. And around age five or six, she started working as a house servant. And then about seven years later, she had to go work in the fields. She suffered a head trauma while she was in her teens because she blocked a doorway to protect another field hand from an overseer who got mad at that person and threw a two pound weight at him or her. I don't know if it was a male or female and Harriet jumped in front of them and it, and it hit her in the head and, and just cracked her head open. And she was, it took her a few months to recover from that. And she still would have, even after she would recovered, she would have she would call spells where she would fall into a deep sleep. So, um, uh, a lot of experts think that she was having seizures because people with you know who have head injuries will have sometimes have seizures after that. So, um, that just kind of tells you right there. Even from a young age, she was trying to save people and would just put herself in harm's way in order to to save someone who was being attacked or vulnerable or her who needed help. I guess. So, about 1844, she married a, a free black man. His name was John Tubman. She took his name. She was actually born Araminta Ross, and she went by Minty. But then later on, when she was freed, um, when she became free, she she wasn't freed. She freed herself, I guess, because she she just went to freedom. <laughs> but she decided to take the name Harriet because that was her mom's name. So. That's how she came to be called Harriet Tubman. So in 1849, she r- really thought she was about to be sold, and I, I guess there, maybe they kind of will, would hear people talking, and, and they kind of would know when this sort of thing was going to happen. And she decided to run away. She just decided, "I'm not going to do this. I'm not. I'm not. I, I don't want to have to leave. You know, my fa- if I'm going to have to leave my family, I'm going to do it myself." And so. She apparently according, and again, this is kind of uh some of these facts are kind of pieced together from different accounts, but in the movie there it was a little different the way she got away, but according to some of the research that I did, I think the there was a white woman who was secretly helping people, and she helped her get away. However, she helped her, I don't know what the extent of that was, but she went, she got on, she got away on her own and she traveled by herself. She did not have anyone to travel with, which is just amazing. She followed the North Star, it said, and got to Pennsylvania and then to Philadelphia. She was able to get work there and saved her money. And then she went back to Maryland, which was so dangerous because. It's one thing to get into Pennsylvania where you're considered free because you're now in a state that doesn't have slavery. But it's another thing to go back into the state where they you're not considered free. And she risked that because she wanted to get her sister and her sister's two children to freedom. And she was able to do that. Then she went back again to rescue her brother and two other men and then the third time she went back she was trying to get her husband but by this time he had married someone else and so she found other people that she could free and escorted them back to the north she just kept doing that over and over again it's just amazing to me it was so dangerous i think it would be easy for anyone and 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 i think anyone would would understand if she had just gotten to Pennsylvania and stay there. Nobody would blame her. No, <laughs> you know, to just, you, you fight, you fight hard and you get, you get there and you're free now. And I don't think anyone would blame her for not going back, but to go back over and over and over and just not stop until I just, I mean, she, she just did this for years and like, you know, 300 people, 300.
1: I, I know it's like, we live in 2020 and it's, it's hard to try to understand and wrap your head around the situation here. But yeah, those are the people that just escaped and just made it up to Philadelphia. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to hang out, right? They escaped slavery to freedom. That I mean, they escaped slavery. They, they escaped slavery. You can't. You were you not even allowed to ask Why wouldn't you go back to your friend, your brother, your cousin, your mom, your aunt? No, you escape freedom. You're allowed to do as you please from here on out. No questions asked, okay? She went back. Tina, Dana, I'm currently in Connecticut. It's a two and a half hour drive to go back to Boston to visit the fam. And I can't find a couple of hours in a week because my life is too busy, Right? Harriet Tubman is running back into, the, the, into, the, into slavery to save other human beings. I'm telling you, like, if you just try to understand what she did and the amount of time she decided to do what she did.
0: You know, the neat thing is she's, she was so extremely smart. She came up with these different things that she would do to help her be successful, getting, you know, getting people out of the South and into um, freedom. So she would do things like take the master's horse and buggy for like the first leg of the journey. So if you think about how smart that is, because they're going to see the master's horse and buggy and maybe no one would realize it was missing at first, but then anybody that would come across them would just assume that nobody's going (laughs) to think. Uh, I mean, how smart is that? She also, if they were having to transport children, like a, infants who you can't really stop from crying. She would give them uh, drugs to help them be kind of sleepy, you know, so that they wouldn't uh, give them away. And she carried a gun. And she would tell the fugitives, she would basically say, you'll be free or die. They were not allowed to go back. And she, because in her eyes, if you are going to turn around and go back because you're afraid... You're going to jeopardize all these people. And she just couldn't have him do that. And so I'm sure she told him up front, you're not coming back.
1: (laughs) Listen, this is a one-way trip, (laughs) boo-boo. It's a one-way trip. Listen, and and it makes sense. It's a railroad. And the only way someone can do it that many times is if you figured out the path, the best passageway, whatever, the best, you know, hiding spots. And if someone makes it halfway and gets cold feet and decides to go back and gets tortured and hit and abused and, you know, done everything too to tell them where's the passageway, yeah, you'll cough it up. And yes, that would be a a big problem for not just yourself, but for Harriet Tubman and everyone else. She did, in fact, bring back this, you know, freedom. Luckily, that never happened. But at the end of the day, (laughs) she was like nine steps ahead at every point. It sounds like this lady had it all. Yeah. And those nursing skills with the with the sleeping meds. I see you, (laughs) Tubbs. I see you as night nurses. We live life like that.
0: (laughs) Well, they wanted they would have given forty thousand dollars as a reward for her capture. That's how that's how much trouble she was causing. All of these people in the south,
1: and like that was like big money back in the day, right? Good
0: grief, yes, oh, that was
1: big money. Ball alert, yo! That's wild. That's wild. That's my lady. That's
0: At wild one lady. point, she so she didn't know how to read when she was um younger, when the, when all of this was kind of starting, and she this was something that was put on wanted posters of her. So she's you know on wanted posters all over. And she overheard some men reading the wanted poster. So she would would keep a book with her. And one of the ways that she would kind of make people, you know, not even think or consider that she might be this person is she would just (laughs) pretend like she was reading. Because, you know, they would just assume, oh, you know, well, she's reading. It wouldn't be the person. It wouldn't be this
1: Uh, That's so smart. She's a genius. She's a genius. I love that.
0: She was able to rescue her 70-year-old parents She also became friends with the leading abolitionists of the day and she took part in anti slavery meetings. So she was a very important part of changing policies and, you know, changing, trying to, uh, you know, she had her voice heard and telling her perspective whenever uh, meetings about, you know, anti slavery meetings were going on. She was right in the middle of all that. So on the way to one of these meetings in Boston, hello, Boston. I She, and I some of you may be familiar, there was a, an incident in Troy, New York, and this is a very well-known incident that happened, but there was a fugitive slave by the name of Charles Nolly. It's spelled N-A-L-L-E, so I'm, you know, that's how I'm going to say it. it's pronounced. But he, his, his half-brother, who apparently looked just like him, they were both very light-skinned to the point that they, uh, if you didn't know, you would just assume they were white just to look at them. Well, his half-brother owned him. (laughs) It's just the craziest thing. He was given him, I don't know, somehow uh, through, I don't even remember what what the reason was, but uh, it seems like the initial person who owned him gave him to his half-brother through like an estate kind of thing. So his half-brother owned him and he escaped from him, and so he was coming after him, and they ca- he captured him. So there he is, and they had him kind of like, I guess, captured in like this building, ready to transport him back. And Harriet got wind of this. She, she heard that this was going on, that there's a situation where this person who was a slave and, and, and escaped, and now they've captured him, and then and he's going to be taken back. She went right there. And so there's all these people, a huge crowd, and she's right in the middle of it, leading it. Well, when they get there to this this area, they're in this building. She goes right in. She uh, is able somehow to get him out a window and across the river. So they got away for um, a few for a while, but then they were able to recapture him. Oh no! And then she and a crowd, both black and white people were able to raise money and bought his freedom for $650. And apparently that was the fourth time he had been liberated, which was not uncommon for a uh, black person at that time to get their freedom for one reason or another, whether their owner had said, you can have your freedom or whether they were able to, uh, someone bought them out, of bought their freedom or something like that. It would not be uncommon for something to happen where they're captured And take him back into slavery. And then they couldn't prove. It's just horrible. Four times. This is the fourth time that he had been liberated. So, I don't know. It's just crazy.
1: Harriet Tubman, I'm telling you, she's a force of, like, will. Like, Mm -hmm. it sounds like she's not someone you want to mess around with. You want her and your team and your team only.
0: Absolutely. Full
1: steam ahead. Like, she just mm -hmm. doesn't stop.
0: That uh, incident with Charles Nally, that happened right before the Civil War, the beginning of the Civil War. And during the Civil War, she worked for the union as a cook and, of course, a nurse. She was even a spy. I'm not surprised at all. After the war, she settled in Auburn, New York, and she spent the rest of her life there. She died in 1913 at the age of 91 Um, She remains one of the few women in history to lead an armed exhibition. So, she was a soldier and a spy for the Union Army (laughs) during the Civil War. First woman to lead an armed military operation in the United States. And I just, I don't even know what else to say about her. She's just unbelievable. (laughs) It's just crazy. She literally changed the
1: world. Think about that, it right, real talk she actually did though nurse i mean this is what we gotta do this is this is our competition nurses see this is what this this is where this is who we are harriet tubman is the essence of nursing to, yo
0: well i'm really proud of her and i'm proud that um i'm proud to, she makes me proud to be a nurse i love nurses like this and i i was so excited uh to be able to to do this story and talk about her um especially during the time that we're in right now it's just which i think it's it's really sad what's going on but there's also some really good change i think i can tell that's happening oh it's coming yes if it's not already here it's coming it's and more change will be definitely oh, coming yeah. too but oh, there's yeah. there's a, there's been a shift and we're going to get to talk about that in a little bit when we kind of get in our after the show kind of show but um for now, I guess we'll kind of wrap this up yes. and thank you guys for listening. Uh Q, tell remind everybody where they can find you.
1: Oh, don't worry. Easy, simple, quick and easy, right? It's Q, just the letter Q, then the nurse, Q the nurse. I mean Insta, YouTube, Facebook, wherever you go on the social, you just type in Q the nurse and you'll find this pretty young thing. <laughs>
0: And you guys can find me at Good Nurse, Bad Nurse on Instagram or GNB and Podcast on Facebook. And you can go to our website at goodnursebadnurse.com. And we've got some kind of fun things coming. For one thing, um, we're, we've got some new merchandise coming out. We have, we're going to have some different kind of t-shirts and uh, we have... We have our little coffee mugs, but um, this is kind of fun. I don't know if you can see that or not. Um, for you guys that are listening to the podcast, you're like, of course I can't see it, but we're we're also recording the video of this, and we'll put that on on YouTube. But um, anyway, I have a new kind of design for a T-shirt, and it uh, they say, even if you're a bad girl, be a good nurse, hey. and even if you're a bad boy, be a good nurse. I think that those are kind of cute. I'm wearing one right now, as you guys can see. Hello, if you're if you're watching. So anyway, that's coming. It's not on there yet, but we're—that's something we're kind of working on to try to get um, an inventory and designs um, for that merchandise. So you guys could be looking for that. And I also want to remind you, of course, that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse. <laughs>